Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Today I want to continue this message on the church And I began last week to summarize what we have learned last year when we walked through, when we went through chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. I began last week to summarize what we learned from the first century church in the book of Acts and and to begin to apply it to us uh, as a 21st century church. I emphasize, you might remember, that one of the most important things that we learn Uh, from the New Testament church is the unity that they had as a body of uh, believers, the agreement that they shared uh, with one another, that unity is essential to uh, the effectiveness of our ministry. It is essential uh, to our mission as a church. And in Acts chapter 1, you remember the church came together In one accord, Jesus had left his disciples with a great commission to go into all of the world to make disciples of all nations. And the church knew they could not accomplish it on their own. And so uh, they laid aside their own personal agendas and uh, they joined together to serve the kingdom agenda of making disciples uh, for, for Jesus Christ. And So it was in this place of one accord that they received the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. When they had come together in in one accord, when they were uh, together in the upper room, uh, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would enable them to be successful in the the mission that Jesus Christ had given to them. Uh, Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for when brothers dwell in unity. Unity is essential to our mission and to our ministry. That psalm, in fact, compares unity to the oil on the beard of the priest Aaron and also to uh, the dew that fell on the mountains of Zion. And the point is that unity, unity in a church facilitates anointing and it facilitates growth, which makes unity vitally important to a church that desires to do God's will. Psalm 133 says, for there, that place of of unity with with one another, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing forevermore. There is blessing in unity, amen? Blessing in, in unity. So we should not be surprised that the enemy works so hard to keep churches Um, in controversies and to keep believers uh, bickering with one another. We saw that also in the book of Acts where the the enemy, the devil, tried to keep the church embroiled in controversy and bickering with one another about doctrinal issues and that sort of thing Uh, because the devil, the enemy, he wants to block God's blessing in our lives. He wants to block God's blessing in our church. He wants to sabotage the important work that remains uh, for us to do. So we shouldn't be surprised that the devil attacks uh, churches 
in, in that way. So we must not allow him to succeed. When we must come together. We must, as the early church, strive for unity with one another. And where we see division and where we see dissension, where you hear gossip and where you hear grumbling, uh, say that is the work of the devil. And, and listen, I don't know how to put it more plainly than that. And that is just to recognize that that's the work of the enemy. And so from those things, we must turn, re- turn away because we know God won't bless that. There's, no, there's not blessing in that. There's blessing uh, in, in unity. So we strive for unity. We seek peace. We pursue love with one another. We come together in the place of one accord where God will pour out his spirit on us and where he will bless us. So we want to follow the example of the New Testament church. Amen. So let's look once more at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. We read these verses last week. I want to read them again briefly this this morning, and then we'll circle back. I'm going to read a couple more verses, and then we're going to go through and read several verses uh, throughout the book of Acts. But Acts chapter 1, verse number 12 says this, Then they, that's the disciples, after they left Jesus, he had ascended back to heaven, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered into Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak through your word to our hearts this morning. Anoint me to preach effectively, God. Instruct my tongue to say what you want to say. And Lord, give us all ears to hear. Father, we desire to be a church that pleases you. You've given us much. Therefore, we know much is required. And so, Lord, when, when you return, we want to be doing what you have left us to do. We're often busy, God, but a lot of the times we're just busy doing our own thing. So, Father, teach us to be about the Father's business and anoint us, God, so that we might do it and do it well. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here today that is not a Christian, that does not know Jesus Christ, please Lord, reveal yourself to them. Call them to repentance. Show them mercy. Give them faith, Lord. And God, I pray that you'd save them by the grace that you have freely given to others so that they too might become a child of God. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, last week after I read these verses in Acts chapter 1, I offered three descriptions of the New Testament church, which we intend at Glad Tidings Church We intend, we desire to emulate these these same descriptions. Number one, they were together in worship. Number two, they were united by the word. And three, they were empowered. All of them were empowered uh, to witness uh, to others. Then, last week I discussed worship. Today I want to talk about the word. Because how many knows both of those things uh, are necessary for us Uh, to become disciples and to become mature in our Christian life. Both worship and the Word. Can you say amen? Amen. Both of them are necessary, which is why they are are both fundamental elements of 
uh, our ministry, worship and the Word of God, spending time in worship to God, spending time in the Word of God. So both of these are essential to our mission as a church and essential to our spiritual maturity as believer. believers. They are central to our mission, which is to make mature followers of Jesus Christ. Therefore, worship and the Word are necessary uh, to fulfill our mission. We are, we are created, we talked about this last week, we are created to glorify God and worship is the means by which we give glory to God. However, without the Word of God, we cannot know whether, uh, whether we are worshiping God in truth because the Word explains who we are worshiping and it explains how we should worship Him. Did you hear that? Uh, so we're, we're commanded to worship God. That's why we're created, to give glory and honor to God. But without the Word, we cannot know if we're worshiping in truth because it takes the Word of God to worship in truth. Do you remember John chapter 4? I'm not going to go back and read the entire story. But you remember there Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well, and he entered into a conversation with this Samaritan uh, woman and um, the Samaritan woman recognized that he was a Jew, she was Samaritan, and so in the course of the, um, in the, course of the conversation, the Samaritan woman said, I know that uh, you Jews, y'all worship in Jerusalem, we worship here in, in this mountain, and it's not in the text, but you can imagine she just kind of gives a shrug, like, you know, I, who's right? Which, which one is uh, correct. And Jesus said to this Samaritan woman, he said, you worship what you do not know. What you do not know. Now listen, Jesus was not condemning the sincerity of the woman's worship. However, he was pointing out the shortcomings in, in her worship. Um, she worshiped the Samaritans. The Samaritans worshiped without an accurate knowledge of God from his word. They, they worship without an accurate knowledge of God. Now, does God, does God accept that kind of, of worship, a worship that is um, inaccurate, that may be wrong in, in some regards? I, listen, I believe, I believe that it's possible. I believe that he can in certain instances. But, but the truth is, is that's just a rhetorical question. Uh, whether or not he accepts that kind uh, of worship. Because the real question is this, what kind of worship does God desire? He has told us what kind of worship he desires. Jesus said that the Father is seeking those people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And the word of God, here's the point, the word of God is how we come to know the truth about God, who he is, what he desires, what his will uh, for our life is, what he requires of us, what he has done for us. It's the word of God that enables us to worship God in truth. Therefore, there's no longer any excuse for any of us anyway. There's no longer any excuse to worship God in ignorance because 
We have the Bible, and the Word of God gives us accurate knowledge about who God is and how we ought to worship Him. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. The Word of God helps us to worship God accurately in truth. This is why worship and the Word are both indispensable elements in uh, our ministry and in our church. We need them both. Now, the New Testament church recognized Scripture as um, God's Word. They accepted its authority, um, and they referenced it often in, in their ministry. In fact, we see this early, as early as Acts chapter, um, Acts chapter 1. Um, just two verses down from where we left off uh, reading in Acts chapter 1, uh, we see this. When they had gathered together, that is the disciples, after they had gathered together, one of the first things that the disciples had to do was to appoint a successor uh, to Judas Iscariot. And so the Bible says that Peter stood up uh, in their midst to address this issue. And he says, look back in your Bibles, chapter 1, uh, verse number 16. Peter stands up and he says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now let's just stop right there for a moment because let's consider what Peter is saying in that one verse. First of all, we'll note that Peter has, Peter has gone where to, for the wisdom that they need to make a decision as a church. He's gone to Scripture to find the wisdom that they needed in their situation. So Peter turns to Scripture for the wisdom that they needed in this situation. And what he says here is, um, is so important. He says, Scripture had to be fulfilled. Notice he didn't say, hey guys, Scripture happened to be fulfilled. What Scripture said, it just happened to be true. It, it actually happened the way that it was written. Peter says, no, it had to be fulfilled. Scripture had to be fulfilled. What Peter is affirming here is that there is no way for Scripture not to be right. Do you see that? Peter is saying there's no way for Scripture not to be right. It's, it's written in Scripture, and so it had to be fulfilled. It had to happen. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is in fallible, that it cannot fail, that everything that it says is true and reliable. Amen? That's what Peter is saying. Hey, Scripture had to be fulfilled. It's Scripture. Therefore, it had uh, to be fulfilled. Why is the Bible infallible? How do we know that it cannot fail, that it's always right, that it's entirely reliable? In everything that it says, well, according to Peter, Scripture had to be fulfilled because why? Because it was spoken by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David beforehand. In other words, Scripture is infallible because Scripture is inspired by God. <laughs> that Scripture records the words of God. So it had been spoken by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. Therefore, it had to be fulfilled. Um, 
And that's, that's the formula for the inspiration of Scripture. In fact, later, Peter would record that formula for us in his second, I think it's his second epistle, um, as he himself wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he said this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How many knows God's word is infallible? It is completely trustworthy. It is right in everything that it says, amen? It, it is reliable in everything that it tells us because it is inspired by God. It's the word of God that holy men of old were carried along and they wrote what the Holy Spirit gave to them uh, to write. And so the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God. It is our rule, just as the New Testament church, it is our rule for faith and for conduct and uh, in, in our lives. The point that I want to emphasize this morning is that, that we have been given a great gift, that, that we have received the inspired, immutable, infallible word of God. Can you say, thank you, Lord, for your word? God has given us so that we don't, we don't have to wander blindlessly and try to figure out how we're going to do what God has called us to do, what we should believe, what is the truth. God has given us a valuable and indispensable resource, the Bible, the Word of God, that we can turn to the Word, any question that we have, uh, anything that we need to know that God has recorded it in His Word. I think we should just say praise the Lord. Amen. The Bible is an indispensable resource in the life of a Christian and in the ministry of the church. In fact, Jesus illustrated how essential God's Word is to us when uh, he, when he was being tempted, do you remember he quoted, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 actually, but Jesus quoted it and he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible is indispensable to the life of the believer. Uh, it is it is absolutely necessary for our discipleship and for our spiritual uh, maturity. The Word of God is the means by which we know God and, and how we know how to worship God. And, and the Word of God is how we come to understand what God's will for our life is. And it is entirely reliable, completely infallible. That Jesus established the eternal reliability of God's word when he said, you remember this, Mark chapter 13, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. We can put our trust in the word of God because it is inspired by God and it is completely infallible, completely trustworthy. That's why the word the ministry of the Word must remain a central part of our church and in our lives as well. The, the Word of God ought to inform every decision 
that we make. The, the Word of God ought to instruct everything that we do. We ought to be people of the book because this is God's instructions for us. Now, to illustrate that and to make a final point, um, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to take it and I want you to open it up to the book of Acts if you haven't already done that. We're going to look at a few verses in the book of Acts that pertain to the role of Scripture in the life of the church. And in case you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles throughout the sanctuary, all right? So look under your seat. I think if you're in the theater seat, it might be under your seat or around you somewhere. Uh, might be in the chair in front of you if you're down here on the main floor. But I want everybody to have um, a Bible. These, these were the pews that were in the sanctuary before we remodeled, remember? These are the few Bibles that were uh, here before we remodeled. And they're back today uh, to make a point, all right, an important point. We're going to look through several verses here in the book of Acts. We'll have to do it kind of quickly uh, to make several observations about the importance of the Word of God in the life of the church. Turn first to Acts chapter 8, if you would. Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 contains the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember that story? How uh, Philip went... Um, God told him to go to a, a deserted place in the wilderness. And when he got there, he found an Ethiopian eunuch who was uh, on his way back from worship in um, Jerusalem. And uh, so God told him, go and join yourself to that chariot. And so let's look at verse number 38, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse number 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading. What was he reading? Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And uh, verse number 34, and the eunuch said of Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Scripture, one of the things that we learn about the way that the New Testament church used scripture is that first and foremost, scripture is good news. Look at your neighbor and say, it's good news news. <laughs> that's, listen, that's important because unfortunately sometimes people have an opinion of the Bible that it's something that you beat people up with, right? Wham, wham, wham. Now the Bible does correct us and it does reprove us occasionally. We'll talk more about that in just one second, but essentially how many knows God's word is good news to us? Because it's a story about how God created us to worship him, to have fellowship with him forever. How we messed that up. We messed it up, right? How we messed it up, but that how God loved us so much that he was not willing that we should perish, but that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us so that we could be redeemed and so that we could be adopted back into the family of God. Now, friends, that is good news. Amen. And that's what the Bible is all about. So 
The Bible is good news. And now listen, notice this. We should study the Bible. We should know the Bible because it's our responsibility to communicate good news to the world. Not, not beat them up with the Bible. That's not what it's for. The Bible is for us to be able to announce good news to the captives. Those that have been misled and deceived by the devil. We have the opportunity to share with them the good news of what God has done for them. So we should all... We should all know God's word well enough, listen, to lead another person to Jesus Christ using the word of God. Amen. So the word of God is good news. We use it to lead others to Jesus Christ. Number two, turn to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to have to pick it up just a little bit. Acts chapter 17. But this is when Paul arrives in Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Am, Am, uh, Amphipolis and, Apo and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. And he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying that this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and did a great many, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading uh, women. Now listen, in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, Paul uses the scripture to reason with the Thessalonians about Jesus Christ. We should, listen, we should use God's word. We should study Study Scripture, not just read Scripture, but study Scriptures. And if we will study Scripture, it will tell us more about Jesus Christ and we will grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's how Paul used Scripture here was to reveal Jesus Christ to the Thessalonians because he had studied Scripture himself and he unfolded it for them. And so when we study Scripture, we learn more about Jesus Christ and we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Acts chapter 17, a little bit further down, after Paul is actually driven out or asked to leave Thessalonica, they eventually ask him to leave Thessalonica. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, he goes down to a place called Berea, and in verse number 10, Acts 17, verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And so they're going to do the same thing, reason with them from God's word. And verse 11 says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 11 says, said that they examined the Scriptures daily. Now listen, it's, it's unfortunate that some of us, the only diet that we ever receive of God's Word is on Sunday morning when the preacher says, take your Bible and turn to this Scripture. How often should we be reading Scripture? Every day. Every day. How often? How regular should it become a part of our diet, our spiritual diet? Every day we should be reading God's Word. Every day 
we should be studying God's word because every day we need to know more about Jesus Christ and grow closer to him in our relationship with him. Amen. The word of God, the daily the da a daily diet of God's word brings us closer to Jesus Christ and increases our understanding of who God is and what his will for our life is. We need a daily diet of God's word. And then turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Now, Acts chapter 18 contains the story of Apollos. And it says, Acts chapter 18, verse number 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ, that, uh, the Christ was Jesus. The Bible says of Apollos that he was an eloquent man and that he was competent in the scriptures. How do you imagine he became competent in the scriptures? It was because he studied them and he read them daily, perhaps. He poured over God's word. And because of that, did you notice he said he had an accurate knowledge about Jesus Christ, although he had not been told about uh, certain things, the re resurrection of Jesus Christ, the baptism of Jesus Christ. But he was competent in the scriptures because he read the scriptures, he knew the scriptures, and because he was competent in the scriptures, God used him to preach the, the word of God, and many, many believed. He was competent, and he used them effectively in public preaching. Now, scripture is very important for the public proclamation of the gospel, which is why we give it a central place in our worship services. Amen? In fact, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that it's through the foolishness of preaching. It's through the foolishness of doing what, what I'm doing this morning, proclaiming Jesus Christ from the word of God, preaching from the Bible. It's through the foolishness of preaching that God saves those who believe. However, what I believe that you see in the book of Acts and in Apollos' example in particular is that the public ministry of the word was no substitute for the private ministry of the word. The public ministry of the word of God was no substitute for the private ministry ministry of the Word of God. Apollos was competent in the Scriptures. He was able to proclaim the gospel publicly and do so compellingly. Uh, why? Because he had a private discipline of studying God's Word and knowing God's words. 
Philip, the same thing. Philip was able to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus Christ using the Scriptures. Why? Because he knew the Scriptures and was able to use them to point other people to Jesus Christ. The public ministry of the Word of God is central to the mission of the church. Can I get an amen? amen. But we can't, we can't leave the Word of God right here in the public ministry because the greater work, perhaps, that takes place is the private ministry of the Word of God. It's when we take God's Word and we begin to read it and we make a daily diet of it and we study it and it begins to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. We learn more about God and what his will for our life is because the public ministry can never substitute for the private ministry of the words. In fact, the effective public ministry of God's word relied on the private study of God's words. And so when we read God's word and when we study God's word, how many knows it, it makes us better worshipers? Because we're able to worship not what we don't know, but then we're able to worship what we do know. Because the word tells us about God, who he is, what he has done, what his will for our life is, what his expectations are. We can worship in spirit and in truth because God's word reveals that truth to us. It makes us better worshipers. It makes us better witnesses because then we can point others to Jesus Christ through his word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the foolishness of preaching, he says it's through the foolishness of preaching that God saves those that are lost. But he also says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I think Paul is calling them, the Corinthians, I think he's calling some of them foolish. I would not be so bold as to do that here this morning. But Paul did. Paul said, some of you are foolish and some of you are uh, lowly. God chose, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human may, being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul is saying, you are the witness that God wants to use to bring others to Jesus Christ. You are the ones that God has empowered by his spirit to lead others to Jesus Christ. The public ministry of the word is central to the ministry of the church, but it doesn't substitute for the fact that you are the witnesses. And it is God's word in you that will make you an effective worshiper and an effective witness for Jesus Christ. God wants to use you. He wants to use each one of us. And getting God's word in you is essential to that purpose. He, in fact, 
God's word promises that his new covenant with us, his covenant with us now is that God desires to write his word in our hearts, amen? That it's no longer just uh, symbols on a tablet or words on a page, but that as we read God's word and study God's word, we begin to know more about God and his word in, uh, begins to saturate our heart and transform our lives and make us into the kind of person that God can use to point others to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, that can't happen just on Sunday mornings. It has to happen every day of the week. Amen? As we read God's Word. So I had some folks ask uh, if we're going to put these Bibles back into the sanctuary um, so that we can have them on Sunday morning. I was undecided uh, for a while, to be honest with you, because, well, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, it's because the, the Bibles, are, they're a different version than I typically use. I think those are NIV. I uh, typically preach from the ESV, but that's not important. Also, I know that most folks have their own Bible. I mean, I hope everybody, you have your own Bible. So most folks have their own Bible. And if not, many use their smartphones or their tablets for a Bible. At least I hope that's what you're using your phone for, your tablet, <laughs> when you're flipping through those this morning. That's what I tell myself anyway. Oh, they're just reading their Bible, Pastor Tim. Just. So we all, we all have Bibles that we can access. We can also print the Scripture on the screens. And we're trying to uh, get better, do better about that. But here's, here was one of my main considerations. One of my main considerations is that I would rather you take God's word with you than to leave God's word here. Amen. I, I, it's more important that you take God's word with you than that you leave God's word here because what you do with the word of God Monday through Saturday is probably a lot more important than just when you read it on Sunday morning. Amen? But you need to be spending time with it Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday afternoon and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You need to be saturating yourself in, in the Word of God. So uh, you need to read it. You need to study it. You need to hide it in your heart. And... Um, so I'm going to invite you this morning, uh, if you want to, take that Bible with you. I mean, it says Glad Tidings Church, but hey, take that Bible with you. If you want it next Sunday morning, bring it back next Sunday morning. But read it <laughs> this week. You might say, well, Pastor Tim, I've already got a Bible. That's great. Read your Bible <laughs> this week. Begin studying your Bible. Saturate yourself uh, with the Bible. Because make, make that Bible, not just that Bible, but make the Bible your Bible. Amen? Because it's a great gift to us from God the Father. Amen? You know, one of the main points of the Reformation was the importance. Mike, if you want to come back to the piano. One of the main points of the Reformation was the importance of putting God's Word back into the hands of of God's people. For, for years, for years, the Catholic Church, they had God's Word, but you know where it was? It was in Latin, and, and it stayed on the pulpit 
in the church. And the only time that the saints ever heard the word was when they came to church, if they came to church, <laughs> on Sunday, and the priest preached. But he preached in Latin, so they might not have understood Latin. It's the only time they ever heard God's word. Then they went back home, and they didn't have God's word. Thank God. Thank God for the Reformation. Amen. Thank God for men like Martin Luther. Thank God for men like William Tyndale that paid the price so that they would translate God's word and put it into the hands of God's people. Folks, this is a gift. It's a privilege that we have God's word. Amen. Don't, don't sit it on a shelf and never open it up. But every day, take it out and say, God, I thank you for your word. That I don't have to stumble through life and wonder about what your will for my life is. I don't have to worship a God that I don't know, that I don't understand. But you have made it plain to me so that I can worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.